Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. I offer you greetings on behalf of our whole diocese celebrating the resurrection all over Southern California and the Central Coast. And I extend thanks for your invitations graciously tendered by Dean Ann to be with you to welcome the happiest morning of the church year. When I hear the strains of Jesus Christ is risen today, I think of going to church as a little boy with my mother and English parents. My grandparents bequeathed Ancanism to my mom, and she bequeathed it to me. In my family, it was as easy and as inadvertent and as magical as that. Some of you may have your own stories of inherited grace. Every Easter, I think of my grandma Lily's old prayer book. It's full leather cover, and the first few pages were burnt because she left it on a radiator one day. In my mind, grandma's wearing berets in her silver hair and has on her plain brown overcoat made from fabric she'd woven, fixed with a brooch at the shoulder. I remember arriving in another great cathedral, St. Paul's Cathedral in Detroit, one Easter when I was about 10. Just as the strains of the mighty hymn swelled, I remember Grandma saying how happy she was that we hadn't missed the chance to sing the hymn that she loved so well. I think of that joyful acclamation whenever I hear the music. But looking back, Lily was probably issuing a very mild, very English Easter Day rebuke against whomever in our little family had really made us late. <laughs> People do that, don't they? Maybe the fault that morning was with my stressed out single working mom. We were always rushing. There was never quite enough time or quite enough money. Or maybe I was the one who at 10 had dawdled in our little apartment. It may be that my favorite Easter memory of my grandmother was just a passive, aggressive rebuke that I've been idealizing in anecdotes for over half a century. We do that too. But who cares? Because just in time we found an empty pew before the empty tomb and we sang in triumphal joy. And we were washed clean by the perfect light of the glorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. And so I pray that, pray that each of us will experience that same refreshment of resurrection, these glorious hours and days of Eastertide, that by grace each will know that you are precious and unique, created by love and in love and for love, for God's purposes of love. That each of us will be renewed for the sake of the work we share in the communion of saints. To glorify God and care for God's people and to make this work the Lord of our lives. For our God acts of praise and thanksgiving. For the sake of our fellow creatures acts of kindness, self-sacrifice and justice. In our time especially for the unhoused and immigrants of color and people suffering from prejudice and racism, people being 
being discriminated against because of orientation and identification, whatever the struggle is, may we meet it joyfully in the spirit of resurrection. For the sake of the gospel, we will work even though it's unfashionable, even though it will cost us, even though standing in witness to the empty tomb be dangerous. It was dangerous for Mary. It was dangerous for the first Christians. It can even be dangerous for us. Dangerous, first of all, for Mary Magdalene and all the women of the church for two millennia. 24 diocesan pilgrims and I returned Friday before Palm Sunday from 11 days visiting holy sites in Israel and Palestine, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Nazareth, even this trip, the Golan Heights. Among the holiest places is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in the old city of Jerusalem, which, according to tradition, closes the places of our Lord's passion, entombment, and resurrection. It was first built by Queen Hannah, Emperor Constantine's mother in the fourth century. Being there, learning about the scholarship, one can picture it. Imagine it's a spring morning in the first century. We're just outside city walls as they existed then. Along the narrow road leading to the gate, as calculated acts of state terrorism, as a savage means of keeping order, the Roman governor crucifies political insurrectionists and criminals as well, wedging their crosses deep into the quarry rock. A friend lends a nearby tomb for our Lord's body because hollowed out sections of quarries are logical places for tombs. And coming in the morning to keep watch is his friend and his follower from Galilee, Mary Magdalene, only to find Jesus' tomb was empty, only to encounter two angels in white who give her the most wonderful news since the creation. Sing it with me, Grandma. Jesus Christ is risen today. The good news came first to Mary and her friend. About this, all four Gospels Agree. Now, Bible scholars have a rule. The more unlikely an event in the gospel, the more likely it is it actually occurred. Jesus didn't think patriarchally, but the church fathers did. If they could have written Mary out of the story, you know they would have. But everyone knew Christ was risen, and everyone knew Mary was the first witness. It couldn't be covered up. But even today, the vast majority of Christian denominations and sects, women are banned from leadership. Let's not feel too proud of ourselves, my fellow Episcopalians, because in God's time, the Episcopal Church figured it out just a glimmer of an eye ago. The apostle to the apostles rightly call Mary, still outside looking in, the empty tomb can be a dangerous place. Dangerous too for our indigenous Christian siblings in the Holy Land. To continue the story of those times, Roman savagery persisted after the Jesus event. And in AD 132, Juden staged the second Jewish revolt. Three years later, the Romans obliterated all evidence of Jewish and Christian practice and observance and even renamed the city of life. 
Two centuries later, and they were long centuries because not everyone had access, very few people had access to any written accounts of that time. It was a long time for memory to stay alive. But Emperor Constantine became a Christian, and remember his mother Helena. She came to Jerusalem looking for wealth. She was looking for evidence of the stories that were being told then in Europe about the risen one. But in a city that had been washed clean of any evidence of Christ, who showed Helena where to look for the empty tomb? Who enabled her to find a place to build her church so accurate that today secular archaeologists, they leave resurrection to faith. That's for us to figure out. But even secular experts say that Helena probably got the passion places exactly right. The site of our Lord's resurrection and burial. How could she have known? Who showed her where to build the church that stands to this day? It was indigenous Palestinian Christians who had kept the memory alive. It said they even dug tunnels so they could touch the quarry underground. Even as the Romans honored their guards, gods in the temple they had built above, the Christians were there at the beginning and who have never left. Forebears of today's Arab-Palestinian Christians, such as our mentioned guest last November, Archbishop Osam Nuam of the Episcopal Diocese of Jerusalem. A dwindling remnant who, if they live in East Jerusalem or the West Bank, they can't even vote. They're denied the basic right of national self-termination. So these are direct descendants of the witnesses to resurrection, such as Mary Magdalene, followers of the way who never left the land. Yet still, in the 21st century, they are outsiders looking in. Yes, indeed. The empty tomb can be a dangerous place. My proposition to you this glorious Easter morning is not, however, a mere exercise in irony. See all these brave witnesses to the good news. See how we treated them. Though we should feel institutional shame for our acts of injustice and prejudice. And there is work we can do today to rectify them. The larger lesson is that resurrection places demands on us all that will inevitably pass in opposition to the stingy values of the world. Resurrection destroys the power of fear. Nothing can truly be risky in a world where Jesus Christ walked into the Jerusalem sunshine on the third day. His example was self-sacrificial love, pouring himself out for the sake of others. In the world, resurrection is a voice whispering, do as Jesus did. That is also why I made you. But pouring myself out, even as the light from the empty tomb pours over me, is dangerous. As soon as an unhoused person asks me for $5 of my precious money, Soon as the city raises my taxes to give my neighbors a place to lay their head. When I need to acknowledge my privilege, make room for someone who's been left out, discriminated against, marginalized, abused by privilege. 
as Mary and the Jerusalem Christians were left out. Second, my conscience tells me to give just a little ground to conflict with someone close to me. Maybe even my big sister who borrowed my stuff without my mission on Easter morning. Even if I'm sure I'm right, I'm reluctant to give any ground. I won't even do that for my risen Savior because the world's values try to constrict me. They try to silence the whisper of resurrection. From the shadows of my doubt, my fear, sometimes just my insecurity and not being sure of myself, there's always a voice saying, no, it's too dangerous. I might even say to myself, Remember what they did to Mary and those indigenous witnesses. I want to run that risk. I want to go along with what the world wants and what the world dictates. It's a safer thing to do, to go along with what's easy and what's expected. But when resurrection light shines, there is, the song says, no shadow at all. And the voice of the Creator who loves me, who loves you, is inviting us to trust in the promise of resurrection and then trust a little bit more tomorrow and a little bit more today after that and always, always, always say yes because, hallelujah, Christ is risen! In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and have a wonderful, blessed Easter day.